Well, good afternoon, Crossroads Church. On behalf of my family and to your family, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And we're so glad that you're joining us either for the first time today or some of you are double dipping, I know it. So we're so glad we get to come together, though, at this time and turn our eyes towards the Lord. And so would you join me as we open in a word of prayer and begin our service? God, we thank you for this day, this day that we get to set apart and remember your birth when God put on flesh and dwelt among his creation. God, we only have hope because of you. God, we're only here tonight because of you. And God, we pray that this time would glorify you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for your love. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.
conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let not your hearts be troubled. You also believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. What that were him are you there you may be also. You may be seated. Well, this evening, we're gathering together again on Sunday because this is too good of news not to sit back down and reflect upon one more time. The girls read for us from the Gospel of Luke, and the two young men also read from us John's Gospel, looking at both Jesus' birth and His promise before He departed that he would come once again. But first we go back and we remember the moment the angel first told Mary she was going to give birth to Jesus. The angel quickly told her after giving her the news that she need not be afraid because she's found favor with God. This angel, Gabriel, Scripture tells us, came with good news. Mary, it's a boy. The only problem being Mary is a virgin, betrothed to Joseph, with no plans of having a baby this year. So he has to remind Mary, don't be afraid of the news I'm telling you. It's tough news to swallow. She's needing to process a lot of things on the fly right now. And yet this is the fulfillment of a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 7, that the Messiah would come born of a virgin, which seems like a pretty big problem for us to solve, but not for God. It's so interesting that the angel makes a note to explain to Mary that that you are favored by God, a highly favored one. You know, oftentimes, fear comes with God's favor. Was it not God's favor to bring Joshua and the children of Israel into the promised land? Absolutely. And yet, what does he continue to tell Joshua? Don't be afraid. Be of good courage. 
Here it was certainly God's favor on her that she, of all people, would bear the Savior of the world. Such precious cargo. And yet that favor came in the most unexpected of ways to the most unexpected of people, the most unexpected place. The angel tells her a little, though, a little more info than we could get with an ultrasound. This angel's telling her, this boy is going to be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. There's no question in the angel's message to her, he will be great. Not because of who his parents are, though they were greatly blessed by God. Not because of his birthplace, Nazareth. In fact, many would question his greatness based on where he came from. And he wouldn't even be great because his name would be Jesus. Because what you need to understand is in that time was a pretty common name. No, he would be great because he was the son of the highest, the son of God. He didn't need a special entrance. He didn't need a special parent. He didn't need a special name. This is God in the flesh. He is great because of who he is, not of how he came. Now, I recognize tonight in our service, as we continue in our study, before we move on, we've got a lot of a younger crowd that are hanging out with us today in here. And so here's what I need to ask. If you are under the age of 13, can you stand right now? This is your moment to shine. All right, so I'm speaking to all of you. All of you standing right now, you have a job tonight, okay? It's going to require listening, but it's also going to require action. Anytime you hear me use the word access, that's your code word, all right? If you hear the word access, your job is to yell out, amen. Okay, we're going to practice this once. You've got this. The code word is access. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. You've been waiting for this moment. You get to yell in church, and you're not going to get in trouble, okay? Let's try one more time. Access. That's better. Okay, you guys can sit down. So you keep your ears peeled because when you hear a certain word that I'm not going to say yet, I'm expecting some amens, all right? Okay. We move on to see the fulfillment of what that angel had told Mary would take place in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. When we're told that she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Nothing could have prepared Mary and Joseph for this moment when they are expected to raise the Savior of the world. Every parent in here knows the pressure they felt the first time they left the hospital and went home with the baby, that now you're expected to just figure out how to parent them, 
how to keep them alive. I remember trying to put my son for the first time in his car seat, and I was so confused how to buckle this thing, and I buckled it all wrong, and the nurse is sort of smiling like, that's cute. Let me fix that. They've got to do this with the added pressure that, oh, by the way, the baby you're caring for is also responsible for saving us all. So just a little added pressure there for you. And this comes after they've traveled 80 miles, and not by Uber, because Caesar Augustus had sent out a census. They needed to return to Nazareth for this census. So you've traveled 80 miles by foot, by donkey. You're now exhausted, worn out, feeling all the weight and the pressure that this baby that your wife has carried for nine months is about to be born, and you need to make sure everything goes smoothly. But one more problem. You're going to get to Nazareth, and it's going to be packed. And not packed like every room's taken and there's one for you on the side. Packed like you're going to be staying outside where the animals stay because there's absolutely no place for you. And we always talk about this moment, and we want to point the finger at the innkeeper and how dare he not have room for them. But I just want to change the perspective for a moment, and let's just think about the parents of Jesus in this moment. You've got one job at this point in life. You're bringing the Savior of the world, and you're raising him up. You need to do that well. Like, if there's one thing you want to succeed at, it is that. And now you're coming to your hometown to find out we don't have a place for him to be born. Now, I know that home births are all the rage right now, but barn births are not a thing, and for good reason. And yet they have no other choice. There's no room in the inn. The baby's coming whether they like it or not. And so he's born in a stable. He's laid in a manger. This has to be the most shocking piece of information in the whole story. The Savior of the world, our Messiah, the reason you and I have access to the Father, the Heavenly Father, God. Thank you. She's on top of it, and I was just going to blow right through it. The reason you and I, I got to think of another word quick, can have the relationship with the Father we have is because Jesus came and was born, and yet there's no room for him? It's all wrong. The Savior of the world is told by his creation the people he's made, that there's no room in any house for him to be born. Now I know they're not aware of who it is that's about to be born. But you ever ask the question, why didn't the father step in here? And I'm not talking about Joseph, who could do little to make room in that inn. Why didn't God the father step in here? You've just sent your only son into the world and they can't find a single spot for him to be born. Why not just make an extra room? 
or make someone disappear from their room. Like, there, you have your ways. And instead, we see him allow Jesus to be born and laid in a manger. Now, I think there's a number of reasons why he allowed this, but one of those is access. Okay, this group gets a gold star. Every other kid over here needs to work on it. So the number one reason, I believe, is access. It's a little better. It's a little better. Remember, this town is packed, and there's no room anywhere for a baby to be born. But news is about to go out to some shepherds in the field that they are to go and find this baby. And some wise men are on their way, making a long journey, to also come and give gifts to this baby. Now, if there's no room in the inn and it's completely packed and somehow Jesus squeezes in, do you think they're also going to go, hey, a bunch of shepherds that were out in the fields all night, some wise men, sure, all of you just come on in. There's no access. But outside in a cave or a stable, lying in a manger, there's plenty of space for everyone. You know, I used to wonder, why would he not be born in just the most royal palace that existed in that area? Well, I'll tell you why. Because shepherds aren't welcome there. He was born in a place that though no one had room for him, he would have room for all that would come and see. But it would take humility to enter that place where he was. It would take faith to believe that the God of all creation would show up in a no, nowhere town and be laid in the feeding trough of animals. And it would take action on that faith, obedience to actually show up to the place. I'm sure along the way going, this is so foolish. There's not going to be God in human form lying in a feeding trough when I get to the, oh, well, I'm glad I came. <laughs> Yet isn't this exactly what it still takes today to come to Jesus? Humility, faith, and obedience. We then fast forward a little bit to when Jesus is full grown and he's got disciples that are following him and then he gives them this news that I'm going to go and die and I'm going to leave you here, but it's going to be okay. And rightfully so, they are troubled. How do we know they're troubled? Because Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. And it's a fitting command for people that have just been told the man that they are giving up everything to follow, is going to die and leave them. Now we think about the great excitement, the joy of the shepherds when they've been given this news that Jesus has come, the Messiah. The wise men who would travel so far and bring these gifts to him. But then here with the disciples, we sort of got a uno reverse going on where it's no longer the excitement and the joy that God is coming to dwell among us. It's the fear and feeling troubled that the Messiah who's dwelling among us is now leaving. 
They're deeply distressed. And yet Jesus is going to call them to have the same thing required by any who would come and follow Jesus, faith. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. To believe in him was to believe in his plan, even if it didn't make sense. To believe in him was to believe in his word. To believe in him was to believe in his deity. I wonder by that standard, how many of us are truly believing in Jesus today? Trusting his plan. Believing in his word. Trusting that he is God and he is in control. Jesus tells them, in my Father's house are many mansions. This wasn't his way to try and brag about his house being bigger than theirs. This goes back to what we said about the manger, access. <laughs> Next time we're going to have to spread you guys out because I feel really good about this. And Okay. Many mansions means there's room for everyone. There may not have been room in the inn for the Savior of the world, but in His kingdom, space is not the problem. And not only does He say, hey, there's enough room for anyone and everyone that would believe in me as God, but He also says that I'm going there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Because he loves them. Because he's confident of their arrival. And because he's committed to them in this relationship. See, we don't fully understand the weight of what's going on in this section when Jesus talks to his disciples. But in Jewish culture, a wedding in their time would have involved a process like this. That once you were betrothed to someone like Mary was to Joseph, and there was this process where you were still not together, but were considered married, the groom would go away and he would prepare a place for his bride. And when that place was finished and ready for her, he would go back and receive his bride to bring her to be where he was. And Jesus here is telling his disciples, hey, I'm committed to you. I love you. I'm not leaving you forever. I'm going because I'm preparing a place for you so that I can come back and get you and bring you to be with me there. It's a promise we hold on to even today, that if you've given your life to Jesus, there's a place for you in heaven. Now, you don't have to worry about getting to the gates and hearing, sorry, the last room just got booked. He's there actively preparing a place for you. And why is he doing so? That where I am, he says, you may be also. This is the emphasis of heaven. What makes it heaven is not streets of gold. It's not pearly gates. It's not even the presence of angels. What makes it heaven is it's the dwelling place of God where we get to dwell with him in perfect 
fellowship, beholding his glory. I've said it twice and I'll say it again. Jesus desired access. Amen. Amen. And he's telling them, either you are going to die and come to be with me or I'm coming back for you. But either way, you don't have to worry about my departure because we're going to be together forever. Tonight we celebrate not only God dwelling among us, but because of Jesus, one day we get to forever dwell with him. Because of Jesus, we have access to the Father. Because of Jesus, we have access to heaven. That's the good news of Emmanuel, God with us, is that he came down and made a way so that we could forever be with him. I hope that this Christmas, no matter who you're with and what your Christmas tradition looks like in your home, There is time spent not only dwelling and giving thanks that God came and dwelled among us, but also a hopeful expectation as you look ahead to the day that you will dwell with him forevermore. And as I invite the worship team and the choir to come back up, my prayer for us is that our desire would match David's, a man after God's own heart, When he said this, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I hope and pray that that is your greatest desire this year. Not a possession, but a person and that you would dwell with him forevermore. And that it would be more than just a desire in your heart, it would be the thing you seek out. It would be the one thing above all else that you pursue. And that you would celebrate that it doesn't have to be a question whether or not you'll get to because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a guarantee if you place your faith in him. Before I allow this incredibly adorable and very gifted choir behind me to lead us in another song, I want to give another opportunity this this evening for anybody in here who does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior because there is no access. It's good. It was a test. I'm like, are they doing it on stage? Yes, they will. Well done to the Father except through Jesus. So if you hope one day for your home to be in heaven, there's only one way, and it's through humility, faith, and obedience. Humility to recognize you are a sinner who needs a Savior. And don't worry, you're not alone. You're not the only sinner that walked in the building today. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the wages of our sin is death. It's what we deserve. Next time you want to fight for, I deserve this, remember what you deserve you don't really want. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus came to earth and dwelled among us, but he came for one specific reason, to die. Because without him living a perfect life and dying on a cross for our sins, there is no access to the Father. I just need to start having a code word every Sunday. This is really good. This is, I like this. But I want to ask this evening, before we move to this song, is there anybody here who hasn't made that decision? To confess your sin to the Lord, to repent of it, to believe that Jesus is who he says he was, the Son of God, that he came, he died, and he rose again three days later, and he offers eternal life to all who would call upon his name to be saved. I'll tell you what, you may have made a lot of good or bad decisions this Christmas season, but the greatest decision you'll ever make is if you have not made that decision to make it tonight. And if you want to make that decision, you can raise your hand or you can stand up, and we would love to pray for you tonight. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision before we move forward? And I trust that the people that are sitting in this room know quite well who Jesus is because he's your personal Lord and Savior. And if that is the case, then would you please join me and let's sing out and celebrate tonight the incredible gift that has been given. And God so loving this world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let's sing this together.
bit of a candle lighting here and it's more than just a, a pretty thing and kind of a novelty to do at Christmas like so much in our lives there's a symbol to it and the passage that we're so familiar with in Isaiah chapter 9 where it talks about unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and these beautiful promises and descriptions of Jesus if you were to rewind just a couple verses earlier it says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has shined and when you get to the new testament john in his gospel it picks up on this theme of jesus being the light of the world and he said jesus was in him was the light of the world and in, in that light was the life of men Jesus came to bring light into those who sat under the darkness of the shadow of death. That's us. That's all of us. Like Lucas was saying, all of us have sinned and fallen short and sit under the shadow of death. But a light has dawned into our lives. God has chosen not to leave us sitting in the darkness that we've sought out and made for ourselves. He's chosen to bring us light. And then Jesus would take that metaphor one step further and he would say to his disciples those who followed him and believed in him and trusted him you are the light of the world and so our, our candle is going to start here at one central point in the way that Jesus stepped into our darkness but then over time that light grows as we move through the room just like the light of God's gospel has reached us as it's passed from one person to the next to the next to the next until God brought light into our lives and we have the opportunity then to pass that along to others, to care for it well, to not hide it, but to share it. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to light uh, my candle. I'm going to light a couple of candles up here. And then those candles are going to go out. And then we're going to have folks walking down the edges of the aisles. And when your candle is lit, pass off to the next person. Take and lean your candle over to them so that their candle can be lit and that person in exchange lights the candle next to them until we have the whole room together. We're going to sing together again. And then when it's all done, uh, after we've blown out our candles together, and don't just, we'll let you know when that's time to do that, you can deposit them at the table uh, out in the lobby. But again, it, it's, it's a pretty sight. It's beautiful. There's no getting around it. 
but there's a beautiful symbol and a reminder of what God has done for us in bringing his light into the darkness that we've created and, and made for ourselves. And so I'm going to get my candle and my little click lighter and we're going to light a candle together. Jesus, Lord, Jesus. 
are so glad to have had this opportunity to worship together on Christmas Eve. So special, so beautiful. So glad that we got to be together as a church family. You may now blow out your candles. And from all of us to you, we say, Merry Christmas! Enjoy your week, enjoy your Christmas.